give them out. Just raise your hand. If you need a Bible, we're going to be opening the scriptures again this morning. If you haven't got your phone, tablet, or anything, yeah, just wave your hand. Michelle, get them out that side. Anybody this side need a Bible? Good, good, good. I was so delighted. I came in on Monday to hand out. We had a um, tear fund with us, so we're hosting them and uh, meeting with them as they were taking their team around different venues of people that connect with them, and they came to the vineyard. And I went to get the Bibles, and they were all gone from the front because they were out among the seats. So that is absolutely brilliant. Nothing does my heart better than to see scriptures being read and you guys participating in that. So that's a really, really cool thing. Um, it's good to be here. We're in a series called Slow uh, because we think that we're, well, we don't think we've experienced. We, the reason why we have a lot of mental health problems, I believe, is because of the pace of our society and our culture. And we're in a world of 24-7 multitasking. You know that, I know that, in order to achieve, accomplish, and to perform and possess. That's what we're about as a, as a culture. Our system of consumer, consumerism, it requires that we want more, that we we use more, that we eat more, that we drink more. And, uh, and then the culmination is what? Restlessness and anxiety. There's always a, a residue with busyness, and that's anxiety and restlessness. Um, anybody know what happened in 2007? I think it'd be ever marked in our history books. So any historians in the room, what was the, help me, help me, help me, um, the printing press was, what, 1458, 59? Any pub quizzers? Anybody got Google on their phone? <laughs> uh, you don't need to go to history class lessons anymore. You just ask Surrey or what's the other lady that helps us all out now? Alexis. Yeah. So Gutenberg, was it Gutenberg with the printing press? Help me out. What, what date was that? Okay. Moving on then. <laughs> So major, major part of history was the print press. But I also think that in 2007 will be the year that will be marked in our history books. And we're going to show you just why. See if you can remember this happening. This is a day I've been looking forward to for two and a half years. Every once in a while, a revolutionary product comes along that changes everything. And Apple has been, well, first of all, one's very fortunate if you get to work on just one of these in your career. Apple's been very fortunate. It's been able to introduce a few of these into the world. In 1984, we introduced the Macintosh. It didn't just change Apple. It changed the whole computer industry. In 2001, we introduced the first iPod. And it didn't just, it didn't just change the way we all listen to music. It changed the entire music industry. Well, today, we're introducing three revolutionary products of this class. The first one 
is a widescreen iPod with touch controls. The second is a revolutionary mobile phone. And the third is a breakthrough internet communications device. So, three things a widescreen iPod with touch controls, a revolutionary mobile phone, and a breakthrough internet communications device. An iPod, a phone, <laughs> and an internet communicator. An iPod, <laughs> a phone. Are you getting it? These are not three separate devices. This is one device. And we are calling it iPhone. Today, today Apple is going to reinvent the phone. And here it is. <laughs> Actually, here it is, but we're going to leave it there for now. So. Whoa. Why didn't you do that when I preach? Huh? Stuff. Stuff. And we worship at the Church of Apple, don't we? It's the only place, well, some of us do. It's the only place I know people queue up to give away their money and are just totally destitute and disillusioned if the product's not in stock. Wow, what kind of world do we live in? What kind of world do we live in? Yeah, the iPhone was introduced in 2007, and I think it actually changed the face of the world. And I think it's, in, it's going to be written in the history books. And then also in that same year, if you were 13 years of age and you had your own email, guess what happened? You were on Facebook. Facebook, okay. Do any of you guys use technology? <laughs> so that was crazy. And then we launched Newsfeed. And so what a crazy, crazy year. And there are many pros with the digital world that we, we now come to know and have just become accustomed to. In fact, so brilliant, actually, the digital world, that we can communicate anywhere in the world at any time, any place, all at the touch of a button. Uh, it's a wonderful thing. One of our boys lives in Liverpool and probably uh, catch up with him more through this here type of thing and this type of thing on a weekly basis. The other two I don't really care too much about. But this one child, uh, I follow him on Instagram and I can see what he's doing. We can FaceTime each other. We can talk on WhatsApp and it seems all to be free, except it's costing us an absolute fortune on these devices that we talk through. But anyway, it's a brilliant, brilliant way. And then just this morning, Avani shot me through a text. Remember last week that we, we talked about the, the persecution with our friends in, in India, that they were fined 900 pounds or 900,000 rupees, whatever equivalent 
is equivalent to in our currency. And so he, he just shot me in the prayer meeting, or just as I came out of the prayer meeting this morning, to say, fine, it's been paid, work has been gone. And so that's fantastic. And we were able to communicate very quickly uh, on a Sunday morning just by WhatsApp to, to find out what was happening in his community. You guys responded so generously that we were able to pay the fine immediately with excess left over to put work money into the building of that church. And then he's able to go pay the things because we can transfer it over the line, over the wire, on the line, under the line. I don't know what we're doing. And so he's paid the fine, good to go, and that community is up and running again. Isn't that brilliant? So that's the pros and cons of the digital age. So thank you, thank you, sincerely thank you for your generosity. You're brilliant, 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 brilliant people. Uh, just to talk just a little more, just to brag on you guys, I went to a meeting, Ali and I went to a meeting on Thursday afternoon with uh, DePaul, who uh, run the housing services here in, in, in Dungana for people that need homes that have been homeless. And um, they were there, the housing executive were there, and the PSNA were there. Well, I was totally embarrassed because they were just, I, I thought, um, maybe, maybe stories are slightly exaggerated, maybe a different church. But the guy in the housing executive, he just goes to town on the vineyard. He stops a meeting, tells the police, and tells the Paul, we're not giving the vineyard enough credit. They, his words are, they're changing lives. This is a housing executive, isn't it? So that's nothing to do with me. That's to do with you guys who give food, who give to Outward Focus Christmas that help feed people throughout the year, that come in with your bits and pieces, who pray for people, who, who go and collect the food on a Tuesday or a Wednesday evening. All that to say that uh, I don't think we're really... <laughs> I would like the, story, the praise to come down a little bit. But I think it's good that the nature and the story of the church and community is not one of take and not one of uh, bigot or or judgmental, but it's actually one that responds to the conditions of our community in a loving, non-judgmental, gracious way. Well done, Vineyard. You're actually clapping yourselves. <laughs> no, go for it, go for it. Yeah, we need to celebrate. We need to celebrate. Um, so there are many pros of the digital age, but there's also many cons. Our attention span has gone, Right? It's gone. It's, it's we're, we, we, we're very close to, to getting distracted this morning, aren't we? I mean, I never get distracted, but you guys, you get distracted all the time. In fact, Michelle did that little thing with me. <laughs> we did an exercise. Whatever. We did this thing in the augury, in the woods. And, uh, and, and she's telling me, like, what do you smell? And I'm, like, thinking, my attention span's so bad. I'm thinking, am I getting these right? It's a test. But this should be relaxing me and centering me to hear from Jesus and, and just to engage the Holy Spirit in my day. But I'm thinking, this is a test. And I'm asking her, is that right? And she's just asking me, what do you feel? What do you see? What do you smell? And I'm asking her, have I got it right? Have I got it right? Have I got it right? Attention span is gone. We are distracted with nonstop stimulation, right? Do you remember we used to have a thing years ago called boredom? Right? Boredom used to be an actual thing before 2007, before the iPhone, if you can remember back then. Boredom was, was a good thing. I wish I had a little boredom again in my life, don't you? It would be great just to be bored. We have a saying in our house. We have lots of sayings. And the boys now, they, you know, they do, if I say something, they do, oh, Dad says, da, 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 da. I'm at that age and stage now where they mimic the sayings that Professor Scott here uh, engages with. So one of the sayings that we have in our house is there's no such a thing as boredom only 
boring people. Oh, yeah, 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 because you take it as a slight or take it as, an, uh, as, a, as, a, as a positive to encourage you to actually think creatively and do something. If you're bored, do something about it, right? So, but, but we don't have even time to be bored anymore, and I can't remember the last time I used that saying, but somebody will remind me. Okay, and then there's another thing I'm discovering slowly but surely, and I, I read a lot about it this week because helped me to uh, engage with this talk and to help me to, to set this talk up. Has anybody ever heard of the attention economy? I'm probably slow to the party, but the attention economy, it's a real thing that's out there. In recent years, let me read it, the explosion of information, we know that, fingertip uh, technology, and there's this ultimate battle, not for more of, um, yeah, more of our attention, that's what they're actually buying, that's what, that's what people are actually selling to, now they're not selling to your needs, they're not selling to your, 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 your cravings actually, they're actually devised um, analytically, they, they've got systems in progress so that they can sell to your attention span, because the window is getting very, very narrow, and so there's a wealth of attention uh, demands that didn't previously exist. Advertisement, right? They, they want your attention and they know you've got little attention. Then YouTube, how many of you watch YouTube ads or you just can't wait for the three or four seconds to disappear Do you click next? How, anybody ever watch YouTube ads? No, we don't watch YouTube ads, so therefore they've got to get it in within three or four seconds because there's that three or four second waiting time, isn't there? And you're counting it down, it feels like ours, isn't it? Three, two, one, will it ever end? Will it ever end? And then you get to click and watch scooters. Okay. And then there's Snapchat and Facebook and text. And, and so there's, there's so much marketing, and they want your attention. They want your attention. Uh, but there's only so much attention, as we all know, to go around, whether it's yours or the prospects. And so, or your prospects. So let's, this is the smart guy. He's the co-chairman of the Center of Age from Deloitte. He says this. We, he's a sprite man, he says, uh, we each have only 24 hours in a day. I didn't know that, but anyway, that's news, news to me. Uh, we're, we're cho we choose to allocate this attention. Uh, where we choose, sorry, to, to allocate the attention will increasingly determine who creates economic value. Remember this, this is very important. And who destroys economic value. So who creates it and who destroys it is all built up in the way that we give ourselves to the attention thing. Does that make sense? So the basic idea behind the attention economy, they're pretty simple. Uh, it's just the, the facilities and the marketplace where consumers agree to receive services for exchange of their attention. We do that every week, every day. You'll do it tomorrow. You'll do it this afternoon. Maybe some of you are doing it right now. Get off your phones. If you're not looking at Scripture, get off your phones, all right? Do not be playing Angry Birds. Do not be on Snapchat or Instagram, unless you're taking a picture of me and doing a hashtag, <laughs> Preacher Rocks. Hashtag cheese on legs. <laughs> Newsfeed, they illustrate the point well, don't they? So it's amazing. Just uh, I, I hope I don't sound old or boring because I love technology. I use it every day. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. It's, a, it's pretty, pretty helpful in our world. But it's also, there's a disadvantage in that is the advertisement. So do, you, you think it's prophetic, don't you? I'm the first time that I ever went on Facebook and I discovered that they, something came up that I was actually thinking about. And I thought... Wow, oh, I was just thinking about that. I was just looking at that very same Vespa aerial antenna with a fox tail, and all of a sudden, it's if like magic, Facebook, the Holy Spirit speaks to the Facebook people. Facebook put it up on my feed, on my page, and I was just looking at it. It's absolutely brilliant, isn't it? 
But it's all a con. They're just clicking and ticking, and they're just, they're just getting your attention span, and they say, oh, I know what makes you work, Ben. I know what makes you work, Mr. Landover man. Huh? I know your weakness. We've all got it. We're fighting the devil, and we're fighting the flesh, and we're fighting the world. Man, our attention span now, it used to be 12 seconds. Anybody want to guess what it is now? Eight. Whew. I've got to hold you guys for an hour and 10 minutes every Sunday morning. It's killing me. But it's robbing us, guys. The attention span, the digital age, 2007, all that comes with the clicks and, and all that is it's robbing us of our attention span. But more than that, it's not just our attention span. If we narrow it down, everything is relational in humanity. For me, God creates human beings. God is a relational God. He knows your name. He wants to engage with you. He, he knows you. He loves you. He's your best thoughts in his heart and his mind today. And that is that it's robbing us from being present with people, from being present with people. Yeah, I met, can I ask you a question? They say that confession is good for the soul. It's absolutely true. James, in this book, wonderful book, well, that just faith and action orientation. He tells us that confess your sins not to God but one another so that you may be healed. The Catholic Church has a wonderful practice in that. I mightn't agree with all of it how they do it, but I think it's a wonderful practice that we should use and practice because it's totally biblical and scriptural, right? So anyway, here we go. Confession of the soul. Let's confess our sins to one another so that you may be healed. Right, here we go. Question number one. You're, in a, you're out, you're at a table, maybe in a cafe, having a conversation, phone sitting on the table, and off goes the alarm, off goes that buzzer, off goes that notification, off goes your phone, it's ringing. What do you do? A, keep engaging with the person across the table with you in a meaningful present conversation, or two, have a sneaky Jim Jook at your phone. How many of you have a sneaky Jim Jook at your phone? right in the middle of the conversation. Can I see your hands, please? The rest of you who lie, <laughs> we need to talk. Yeah. We don't we find it hard. We're gripped with something that's pulling us. It's that notification noise. It's trained your brain. You just, it just pulls you. Oh, I, need to, I want to talk to you, but this is... How many of you are in the house and you have people around for dinner, your phone rings, your house phone rings, and you've got to answer it? How many of you do that? How many of you, well, let me say it this way, how many of you tell the person that you're present with that the person ring is more important than the conversation that we're having here at the table? Huh. Man, it's a way we, 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 we are killing our attention span, we are killing our present with people, but we're also killing our present with Jesus. Being present with Jesus. And this is what this conversation is about. Slowing down and being present with Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus Christ who loves us and who gave himself for us. What would it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lost his soul? Many times you hear that in Northern Ireland and you think that's about somebody saying the prayer. Confessing their sins, asking Jesus into their life and getting a ticket into heaven. And hallelujah, Jesus. Well, it's part of the story. Romans 10 tells me it's part of the story. You can confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. Jesus has been raised from the dead. Okay? It's part of the story. But I don't think that's all the story. I think we are daily losing our souls. 
we're losing our souls. Your soul is your inner being. Love the songs today. That we need to train our souls, awaken our souls to shout at times, to pray at times, to uh, awaken our hearts and our souls, this inner being to Jesus. My, my dad always had this saying. It used to send the shivers up the back of my neck. It's, it's absolutely scriptural. He used to, every time we're in a prophetic meeting, he would do it in a slightly American accent, which probably would add a bit to the atmosphere and to the vibe of it. But he would always, every time he would get up and prophesy, he would used to use this little phrase, deep speaks to deep. And I used to listen to that, and the hairs in my neck used to go up. And it's kind of mystical, but it's true. Deep speaks to deep. It's, the, it's, it's who you are in the inside that you want to connect with Holy Spirit, God, Father, Son. That's what we want to do, deep connects to deep. Now, you may think I'm exaggerating slightly, but I'm not at all. I'm not at all. We are fallen asleep people. We have been lulled into a full sense of security, and we are losing, we are losing not just the attention span battle, but we are losing, I think we are losing the spiritual battle in our connection with Jesus. See, I, I know I so, I'm sounding like an old person here today, but I'm truly, I'm not an old person, I'm hip, and I'm happening, and I know all the phrases. <laughs> Someone says, just because you use the language doesn't mean you know the culture. <laughs> It's my boy, she used to say that to me. And so, all that to say is that, yeah, we are losing our spiritual battle. We, 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 we're, we're losing stuff like, you know, when people used to use language, like quiet time, does anybody remember that? And, and yet, we talk, I talk to loads and loads of followers of Jesus Christ, and they don't know what that means anymore. Or they go down the, this crazy street, or ridiculous street of, that's being, that's being religious. What? Spend time with Jesus being religious? No, I don't, don't, don't get it. Well, that's being law-based. You, 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 you're just being law-based. There's no grace in that. Oh, man, it's grace, not grace. Grace is not just something cheap. It's something that was, you know, this grace thing is, is, was bought through relationship and the, the, the journey in and the journey on is relationship. That's what grace is. Grace is having a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's so kind to us. It keeps us from, from, from Jesus, and it keeps the Father's thoughts from our hearts. Does it? Yeah, it does. When's the last time you pause to touch, feel, smell, breathe? <laughs> when's the last time, seriously, when's the last time we, we settle our hearts, quieted our spirits in quiet time so that we could actually ask Jesus what he thought of the situation? Well, can, I, can I ask you another question? Those people hiding behind the pillar. Do you do that on purpose? <laughs> do you have a little attitude problem down the back? You, no, you don't. They're all good people. I wouldn't say that if, if I did have an attitude problem. <laughs> um, yeah. Question, question, question. See, I've lost my span of attention right now. Um, yeah, so the question is that, I don't know what the question is. I totally forgot. I'm bluffing my way here to try and remember if I can trace back. What was I talking about? I'm being absolutely serious here. Quiet time, spend the time with Jesus. Okay, here it is. It's come back. It's come back from the back of my head to the front of my head. It takes a little time. But anyway, um, when we make decisions in life, how many of us go to the gurus, the Google and the Lexus before we actually go to Jesus? You know, even just purchasing stuff and even decisions about your family life and your work life, your, your raising kids life. Most of us want to find out through a book, through all the resources that we do, to go to the person who made humanity and knows how we're wired and designed us in a very, very detailed and beautiful way. We, 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 are, 
We are killing ourselves spiritually. We are dying on the inside. And I think we need to start a revolution again as a church, as old-fashioned as it sounds, just to slow things down. And as radical as this sounds, spend time with Jesus. Can you imagine it? Spend time with Jesus. Okay, you have a Bible, you have a tablet, you have a phone. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. We're going to fly through a few scriptures. So with that, I'm going to ask you another question. Is there a practice from the life of Jesus? Is there a practice so we get live and thrive? So that we're not struggling with our relationship with him and that we're able to hear what the Father's saying in our everyday ordinary. This life goes on. Matthew chapter 4. And we're going to read from 1, 2, 4. Let me get there. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. That just weird to me out. Let me read that again. Because sometimes I think I read it wrong and then I try and read it with the commas in different areas just to try and make my theological point a little cleaner in my head because it does disturb me slightly. Does this disturb anybody else? Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert. Yeah, I think I've read it right. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, this is rocket science, he was hungry. <laughs> and it says, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. Engagement again with the Father, intimacy with the Father, identity, all that there. But I want to read. Can we read first one again? Because let's just read it again. Because I used to read it, and I used to get muddled up, and I used to, it used to torment me. Not torment me, but it used to tilt my head slightly. It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit. So Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the desert, into the wilderness, into the lonely place to be tempted by the devil. Now, I don't know if you've ever read that before, but does that not, does the thought of that not just sound weird to you? No? Oh, it's not very nice, Father. That doesn't sound very healthy. That sounds, that sounds like mean. It sounds mean. It sounds like it's unfair. It sounds like it's, why would you do that, God? Why would you take Jesus into the lonely place, into the desert place to be tempted by the devil? So it sounds totally negative, doesn't it? The first time that you hear this, after Jesus' baptism, before he goes into ministry, before he starts healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, going from town to town, preaching the kingdom of heaven, before he does anything, he gets baptized. The Holy Spirit ascends on him or descends on him. He finds a resting place, just like he did in Genesis when he goes out of the boat. The Holy Spirit's still looking for a resting place today on people and homes. So he's looking for the resting place. He finds it in Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who's been baptized. And the first thing that Jesus does is not an itinerary plan, is not to check his Facebook or anything. Anything, God, it's not his Instagram hits or anything, God. The first thing that Jesus does before anything else is that he's led by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God, into the desert to be tempted by the devil. So, when you read that, when you read this, I feel sorry for Jesus. I, I feel sorry for Jesus. When I read this, I think it's kind of mean again. I think, man, this is sick. He's, he's so depleted, he can barely survive. And yet this is the time that the Holy Spirit takes him into the desert place where the devil comes at his most weakest and his most vulnerable state and condition, and he is attacked by the enemy. But the truth is not as I've 
told it. It's Jesus is spending 40 days with the Father. That's what you need to think about. The devil doesn't come day one. Jesus gets to spend 40 days in a spiritual discipline called fasting. He's fasting. He's spending time with Father God. He's, he's focused on him. I think he's empowered. I think he's strengthened. Angels actually come to his aid. Heavenly hosts come to him uh, in the midst of all that. And so I think at the end of the 40 days, Jesus is not weak. I think at the end of the 40 days, Jesus is not vulnerable. I think at the end of the 40 days, Jesus is not in a weak, vulnerable position to be attacked by the enemy. I think by the end of the 40 days, Jesus is in a place of strength, in a place of empowerment, in a place of encouragement because he spent time alone in the lonely place, focused his full attention before he does anything ministry-wise, before he heals a single person, before he raises the dead or feeds the 5,000 or anything else like that, before he does anything, before he touches anything, he touches the heart of the Father with his presence for 40 days. Now, that is a different way to look at it, isn't it? And the tempter will come, and the tempter, and actually the tempter does take us more opportune time, doesn't he? It's Gethsemane. He comes again and again. So Jesus knows. The Father knows. The Spirit knows that he's going to be tempted. And the best place for Jesus to be where there's going to be temptation is focused on Father God. Isn't that brilliant? There's some of you people. That is absolutely brilliant. I, just, I had a, revel, a revelation moment this week in my man shed. Yes. Yes. I'll put water on you. He's focused. He's prepared for his public ministry. Now, so, so I think it's absolutely brilliant. So Jesus is ready to go and do the stuff. And so often we, 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 we read the scriptures and we think that we're ready to do the stuff, but we haven't a clue. Our attention span's gone. Our time's gone. We have not spent time with Father God. We'd rather rush in and do stuff. And, and here, I'm the biggest culprit. I'm the biggest culprit. I pastor a church, a thriving church. There's no one in our community. And yet I find it so much easier to do stuff than to be alone in the wilderness, in the quiet, in the lonely place with Jesus, Father, and Holy Spirit. Anybody else like that? Is it just me? Am I just a bad spiritual leader? Thank you. See that hand. The rest of you can take your hands from under your legs again and relax. Okay, so let's, let's jump over to Mark 1, 35 to 39. Mark 1, 35, 39. Shout if you're there. You're there. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Right? And it says, Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, what are you doing? What are you doing? Things are flying. This is day one after his baptism, after he comes out for the 40 days of being with Father God, after he spends that time when he's tempted by the devil, and it's most, uh, when the devil takes, thinks he takes an opportune time, but he t- actually Jesus is in the best place because he spent 40 days with the Father. After this, Jesus is out day one, it's just he is knocking it out of the park. 
casting out demons, healing sick, everything is going on. And so the, the disciples, they're, they're, they're thinking, hey, this thing is going brilliantly. What are you doing stopping? Isn't that the question? They're saying, what are you doing, Jesus? What are you doing? Everyone is looking for you. This is brilliant. Everything that you said, the kingdom of God has come. Repent, change the way that you think. It's working, we're seeing it. Now everyone's looking for you, and here you are doing nothing. Doing nothing. Jesus replied, then let us go somewhere else to nearby villages so I can preach there also. That's why I've come. So we traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. I love that. Don't you? It's kind of comical, isn't it? Where's he preaching? Where's the demons? Did you not get that? He's in the church driving out demons. Should we just do ministry time? Anybody got a demon? Just stand. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm messing with you. I'm sorry. Are we still friends? So I want you to get the flow. I want you to get the rhythm of Jesus' life. Even just what I've read there. Just a few, few places in Scripture. You've got to, have, got to have picked up that there's a flow to the life of Christ. There's a rhythm. There's a pattern. 40 days in wilderness, and then he goes out to usher in the kingdom. Right, he goes out, he does that. He ushers in the kingdom. There's pushback from the enemy. After day one, what does Jesus do? Goes to the solitary place. Goes to the wilderness. Goes to the lonely place. It's interesting. The Greek word for solitary is eremos. Eremos. So, do you want to say that out loud so that you've got it? And you, you could, if you try and slow it down and maybe put on a slightly English accent, it makes you sound very much more intelligent and like a Greek scholar. So, do you want to try that? The word for solitary is eremos. Let's try that again. Eremos. And if you hit it on Google or thing, it goes really slow. I guess it goes eremos. All in the same tone. So, that sounds really deeper. Sounds way, way, way more intelligent when you just allow your voice to become monotone and keep it at the same level. Do you want to try it on that? Let's go. One, two, three. Eremos. Don't you feel holy? <laughs> Don't you feel like you just do ministry time right now and fight the Holy Spirit to come? Doesn't it feel like that moment? No? Okay. Well, then let's move on. So it's translated quiet place, desert, solitary, or lonely place. Lonely place. But again, it's not negative. Not negative. Okay, Mark chapter 6. One more text of scripture. And then we're going to dive in and get this thing wrapped up. Mark chapter 6. If I can find it. Mark chapter 6, 30 to 34. The apostles gathered around Jesus. Sorry if I've gone too fast, but just for sake of time. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that had been done and taught. And they're like, this has been a good day at the office. Then because of so many people were coming, because so many people were coming and going, that they did not even have a chance to eat. Do you ever feel like that? Just people coming and going, you never have a chance to eat. You just like, slow down world. Things are just so busy, I haven't even got a chance to eat today. He said to them, come with me. By yourselves to a quiet Eremos, Eremos place and get some rest. Okay, so in the busyness of, you know, not even getting your dinner, not even getting your tea. You know, there's just so many people coming and going. He's not got time to rest. He says, come on, guys, this is, this is just crazy. Let's go to a place. Let's go to the Eremos. Let's go to the wilderness, to the solitary place, to the lonely place. Let's go somewhere and get away from these, these people. And that's well, he does. So they went away. I love this. I love the reality of Scripture. She couldn't make this up. So they went away by themselves in a boat to the solitary place 
But many who saw them leave and recognized them and ran on foot from all of the towns and got ahead of them. So they, would, they, they put it into Satnav and they did fastest route. And they got there before. Can you believe? You got to picture this story. Like Jesus is, they're exhausted. They haven't eaten. They just say, enough's enough. People are coming and going. Let's go. So they go to the solitary place. And guess what happens? This would just drive you nuts. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. It's like, geez, Louise. He saw a large crowd. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. I love that. I love the reality of Scripture. I just love how Scripture is written. It's not, it doesn't try to tidy anything up. It just says, this is life. This is life. Jesus had us in his heart to spend time. He knew the rhythm. He knew the practice to do ministry, to, to heal the sick, to be with people all the time. You need to be, you need to be doing out a place of being with the Father. The solitary place, that Eremos place, the, the, the wilderness, the, the lonely place. You need to be doing it from there. And so Jesus is just like, let's get away. He gets away, gets on the boat. They think they've made it. And then somehow they've got a faster boat that they've ran. They've, I don't know what they've done. They've got a shortcut. Somebody told them, go down this way, take a two lefts and a right, and you get there before Jesus. So they do that because they're just, they're just marveled by Jesus. They're hungry for the things of Christ and things of the kingdom. And so they're there in that place with, waiting for Jesus. And what does Jesus do? I just love Jesus. Jesus is, is, he, just, he looks at them and goes, I'm tired, but I've got compassion. I'll feed them. I'll feed them. And that's what he does. He's so kind. But then let's look down to verse 45. I'm just going to read it straight up here just to save time, if that's okay. It says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to Bethsaida. While he dismissed the crowd, after leaving him, he went up to the mountainside to pray. I love that too. He's like just thinking, there's no getting out of here. So these are the decoy, right? The disciples are decoy. You go that way. And he says to, he says to all the people, see ya. And then when they all go to follow, thinking that Jesus is going to be with the disciples. This is how I played out in my mind. He's going to be with his disciples. And Jesus is like, I'm going up a mountain. Now, I used to think that to be a really spiritual person, you've got to go to the mountain place, go to a, go to a real, you know, go up the morns or whatever you go. Uh, go up there. If you're really spiritual, you do. That's for, that's for where you connect with God. And you, not only that, you pray in the dark night, right? You pray in the dark night. But guys, this is just wake up time. This is just like, this is, this is just ridiculous street. Why do you think Jesus went up a mountain? It's the only place to get away from people. Why do you think he prayed in the middle of the night? There's nothing spirit. I don't think there's something spiritual, but I think he prayed in the middle of the night because that's the only time he got to pray. The only space he could be, alone with the Father, and the only time he could get away. And then all of a sudden, we've made it into this mystical place as if Jesus is only up the mountain. God's up the mountain. If you're really spiritual, go up the mountain. No, 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 no. Find a shed. Find a space. Find anywhere. Find a room in the house. Kick everybody out. Do whatever you need. It's not about the space and the place and the time. It's all about the intentionality. Listen, 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 listen. The intentionality of being with Jesus, regardless where it is and what time of the day it is. It's about being in the, the solitary place, the lonely place, the wilderness place, the Eremos place, and giving yourself fully to Jesus. Does that make sense? So he, it's the only place he could do it. It's the only place. And then Luke 15, Luke 5, 16. Let me just read this. It just, just, just that rhythm again. Oh, fifth, if we just back up at first, it says, the news about him spread all the more. Things are just speeding up, accelerating all the more. So the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their illnesses. And then it says, but. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. The busier life got, the more he withdrew. It says here, 
spread all the more. So the crowds and people came to hear him and to be healed. It spread all the more. There was rapid acceleration in the ministry of Jesus. And what does he do? But he often withdrew. What does that tell me? There's a rhythm again to the life of Christ that when the busier life is, the more, the more demanding life is, the more demanding people are, the more demanding the system is and the culture is that Jesus goes to the quiet place that he withdraws. Did you see that? That's what happens. I don't know about you, but the busier my life gets, the shorter that time gets. The busier my life gets, the less Jesus gets. Because I'm a man of the cloth. Very nice cloth, I might add. 75% off in House of Fraser. You wish. Hmm? You could carry this off. Anyway, I'm going on an extreme. That's attention span again. You see, I'm going into that world of sell, sell, sell. But let me tell you, let me tell you this. That it's, 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 it's a fight for our attention. There's a fight for... And so for me, as, as somebody who, who, who's a leader of a church who wants to help people to be with Jesus, the busier I get, the less he gets. And you think it would be the other way around, wouldn't you? You think the busier we get, that the more time we need to spend time with Jesus as we look at the life of Christ. But we think we know better. I think I'm smarter at times. I think I'm smarter than God. Therefore, I think I am God. And you do too. That's what sin is. Sin is you being God. You, you thinking you're smarter than God. You being selfish. And you thinking, I'll go to do it my way. Somebody should write a song my way. And uh, so... So that's what happens. Jesus, the lifestyle, he got away with God regardless of how busy it was and how crazy it was. The practice of an apprentice, of a disciple of Jesus in this noisy, busy world is the same when Jesus was walking among us. So never ever think also that Jesus lives in a different culture from us. I also think that his culture was a lot louder and a lot busier just because of the geographical space of narrow streets and, and retail was out on the streets and markets. There's a lot of hustle and bustle on the streets. To me, it sort of reminds me, the only place I can go is like India, and there is just constant noise. Constant noise, right? Morning, noon, night, early hours of the morning, there's just constant noise. I think it's like that in the time of Christ and his culture. There's a lot of buying and selling, narrow streets, a lot of markets, a lot of things going on, animals being taken through streets, all sorts of noise going on. Guys out in the street shouting and saying their prayers out loud. That's what Scripture teaches us in Luke 6, doesn't it? Uh, or Luke 7, when people are outside and Jesus says, Hey, turn, turn, turn it down a bit. You don't need to be doing that. So there's a lot of noise in his culture. So we think, oh, well, Jesus didn't live in the place I did. Of course he did. He lived with the same pressure. He lived with the same noise. He lived with the same constant people wanting his undivided attention. And yet he had the practice. He had the practice that he would go to the, the solitary place. So what is the practice? Silence and solitude. For the extroverts, you're anxious. You're thinking, what is that? Silence and solitude. For the introverts, you're thinking, hallelujah, I was wondering when I was going to get to this one. Right? So silence and solitude. The, de the working definition is to be with God in silence and to give him our full attention. That's the working definition. To be with God in silence and give him our full attention. To give him our full attention. Jesus gathered himself to God and prayed. What, do we sh what should we do in the busy hustle of trying to slow down in a crazy world that makes us anxious and restless? I think that we should be with God in silence to give ourselves fully to him. Don't you? And yet many of us right now are thinking, I can't do it, I can't do it. Excuses, excuses. Can't or won't. Remember, can't or won't. You can't or you won't. We've all got choice. Silence. What is silence? It's the external and the internal. For me, I have a lot of noise going on 
even when it's quiet. Do you? So the external noise, it's kind of easier. It's a discipline all in itself, I think. I think it's good to do that. I think it's good to get away, to get space. It's just to get away from the noise, the traffic, the sounds, the music, the talking, the conversations, the television, whatever it is, the Netflix, uh, um, yeah, Alexis, whatever, whoever's fighting for your attention. I think that that's easy one. The, the, we can do that. We can get away to a space. We can get away to, to a place. Um, and we can unplug. You can actually do that. So you can go where... Go where there's no air, go where there's no cars. But what about that inside noise? So this Tuesday, I went into the prayer room. Uh, tell you what I don't like about that prayer room. I don't like that prayer room when there's other people in it. <laughs> and so uh, apologies if I've ever gone into the prayer room and you're there and I had a look at you and walked straight out. It's nothing to do with you. It's just I'm trying to be with Jesus alone. And I find it very hard to... to Keep attention span. And so I'm in the, in the place. It's really, really quiet. There's nobody here but me in that room. And I'm looking around thinking, what can I do? There's lots of stuff on the wall. How can I engage? How can I engage? And then I look down and I see a CD player and the music. And it says, choose some music if you wish your CDs or enjoy the silence. And I thought, are you mad? Enjoy the silence. And then I looked and there was no CD player. And I was getting a little anxious. So, and then I thought, I'm going to practice what I'm preaching this week. I'm going to have to do it, or somebody's going to call me on it. First of all, God, right? Not you guys. And then I'll get found out somewhere. Somehow you always get found out. So, so I'm sitting there, and it was exhausting. The noise in my head was deafening. The to-do lists and the emails, and I purposely put the phone away, because I could just simply go on email and close the door, and the pastor's in the quiet prayer room, but it's actually on his emails, right? And I wouldn't do that. I'm just, I know pastors that do those sorts of things. <laughs> the eternal noise is so hard to switch off in our lives, and, and, and silence is, is when it's both, I think. When the outside noise is gone, and, the, and we learn to quiet the eternal, internal noise that's going on. So solitude goes with silence, right? It goes to silence, and silent, or solitude is not the same as loneliness, by the way. I, I'm not good on my own for a day. True story. I was going out with Michelle. We're, I don't know where we are engaged at the time, but she decided to, to meet me at her parents' house. Her parents were away for the day, and then Michelle decided to go out with somebody else for the day. And she locked the front door, and she locked the back door, and took the keys with her. So I'm in this house in Tobermore, all by myself, pre-Facebook days, pre-internet or anything I got there, and I am on my own for like five or six hours, and I can't get out of the house. Well, I tell you, to this day, I still get therapy, don't I? <laughs> if you leave me in the house on my own for a day, do you know what I do at night? This is how weird I am. Because uh, there's not a lot happening, don't get If I've been on my own all day, say I'm writing on my own all day, or I've taken space out to be with Jesus and write talks for for you beautiful people, so that you can practice all these things during your week and your everyday ordinary life. When I do that, and then I'd, I'd say to Michelle, do you want anything from Tesco's? No, no. I'd say, I'll just go anyway, just in case there is anything. And I walk around Tesco's because there's people there. It's like, there's the weird boy not buying anything again tonight. Must have been on his own all day again. So, Richard Foster, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant guy. Richard, Richard Foster says, loneliness is the inner emptiness. Solitude is the inner Fulfillment. Brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant. So in solitude and silence, we slow down and we feel the emotions that we're running away from. Why are we so afraid of the quiet? 
It's time to withdraw from company and from people and from noise in order to be with God and give him our undivided attention. How are you doing with that, church? What's the temperature? What's the spiritual temperature in the room today? How are we healthy? How, how, how healthy are we in our spiritual lives? Are we losing our soul? Are we gaining the world and losing our soul? I don't, know, I don't want to be the church also that gains the world in a good way, in a good reputation, if in your church I'm gaining or feeding the poor and doing everything else, and we're losing our soul at the same time. Because if we're going to be outward focused, we've got to be inwardly strong. Inwardly strong. We be with Jesus, we become like Jesus, and then we do the things that Jesus commanded us to do. I'm fastly running out of time. Let me just read one more thing for you. No, I'm not going to read that because it's way too long. Okay, let's get really, really practical. Let me say this. There's nothing in our culture that reinforces restlessness and listening to God. There's nothing in our culture that reinforces that. It's just noise, 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 noise. Sales pitch, sales pitch, sales pitch, sales pitch. There's nothing in our culture that's going to reinforce that. We've got to do something intentionally about it. We've got to begin somewhere. We've got to hit pause. We've got to uh, reorientate our lives in a way that helps us to be with Jesus so that we can quiet our souls, quiet the inner noise that comes. It's just so loud, just so loud because I think we're running from some things, right? Or we just feel that we need to be busy. We need to be productive. We've got this sort of, there's this sort of, can I, not being political, but this Northern Protestant thing in us that we, we need to be busy. We need to be seen as busy people. You know, if you're not busy, you're lazy. It's not true. It's not true. I wonder how, you, how people, I wonder, wonder how we would have found the life of Christ. I wonder how we would have, I wonder if, if, you know, if everything was happening and people were starving and people needed heat and you found that Jesus was just spending time with the Father. In fact, you found, you, somebody told you, a rumor went around that Jesus wasn't even in the town, that he actually went out of his way to get away from people up to a mountain place and spent time and was praying all night. Irresponsible or what? Messiah Christ the King. We need to make time to, to build relationship with Jesus. Marriages need it. Friendships need it. You know this. This is just basic relationship stuff. You know, your, you know, can you imagine your marriage if you don't spend any time with your spouse relationally? And, and yet we all, we, all get, we all get caught up in the craziness of the world too where we don't even do that. I hope you're not in the room. But I had a conversation with somebody this week. <laughs> It's not really a bad thing. I said, you know, they, they had a baby, and um, I don't think they are in the room. And uh, they, were t they, were, they had been away for the first time on their own, and I said, what age is the baby? Because I'm thinking, like, me and Michelle, it's like three weeks. <laughs> no. How old was Caleb? Six months. We were like, we're away. It's our anniversary. We're away. We're never coming back. <laughs> no, we were. <laughs> he just went away for one night. But I said, how old's your baby? 15 months, and I said, what? 15 months and you've not been on your own? Are you here? No? Are you crazy? 15 months? We, we, need, we need to invest time. We need to invest time with our spouse and with, with our children and with our friendships, guys. If, the people that mostly get your attention are the people that don't build health in your life, and the people that build health in your life get the least attention. Let's do something different. Let's do something different in our practices. Friendships needed. Fortunately, we don't. Here's what we don't need to do, right? So here's the pushback. I know I used to be one of these wee smart aleck guys that, you know, people used to talk about contemplative people and 
don't know why I did that. Contemplative people and, you know, you know, they're, they're, and I said, well, it's all right. You know, you're that type of person. You're sort of, you're, you know, you're the poet and the inner thinker and the writing poetry and journaling. Journaling, I have like 20 journal books. And I've started all page one. <laughs> and now I'm not allowed to buy anymore. Because Christians told me the best way to connect with Jesus in the quiet place is to be journaling. So I bought these brilliant books. I probably enjoyed buying the books, but then I actually didn't do anything with them. And so it writes off and I was like, this feels like work. I'm stopping that. So I make excuses and I think, well, that's okay. You know, if you want to be a monk, but I'm here to change the world for Jesus. Hallelujah. I don't have time for that stuff. And it's just so silly, isn't it? Just so silly. You don't need to become a monk to practice silence and solitude. Some of you are thinking, Frig, I was looking forward to the outfit. <laughs> you don't need to do that. You don't need to go to the desert and be a desert follower or anything else to practice disciplines of solitude. We can, we can apply that practice in the context of our lives that we're living in the 21st century with all our digital commodities that we have. We can still practice silence and solitude. Let me tell you, it can be done. It can be done. So where do you start? This is where the anxiety levels are rising in the room. I'm going to say the first few words. Start your day not with your phone. Start your day not with your phone. But with a pause. What about this revolutionary idea? This is just mad. I've come up with this one all by myself. Instead of starting the day with our phone, what instead of inviting Facebook into our world and Instagram and everything else into our world to frame your day? Because it does frame your day. Once you start to get on the crazy hamster wheel of get into the news, you read the news, you read the negativity and all that stuff. I'm not saying don't read the news, by the way. When we start to go down that road of Facebook and everything else, when we start, that forms your day. So what about this revolutionary idea from Pastor Jason Scott, Vineyard Church, Dungannon, 2018, 7th of October. What if you started just pause when you woke up in the morning and invited Jesus into your day? In the stillness, in the quietness, and said, Jesus, direct my day. Holy Spirit, come and help me to reorientate my heart today. I want you to be how I face this day. You form the rhythm of my day. In the complexities of it, you be my wisdom. In the craziness of it, you be my peace. In the stuff that I have not a clue about it, Jesus, you be my wisdom. What if we started our day again? Here's the second thing I'm going to introduce to the church. Quiet time. Quiet time. Everywhere we look at the minute, we're looking to all this mindfulness, isn't it? You can't get away from it. Mindfulness, mindfulness, a mindfulness app, and a mindfulness this, and a mindfulness that. Where do you think I come from? And the church gets afraid of it. It's not Eastern mystic religion. It sounds very much like Bible and Jesus Christ to me. And we can't blame culture for setting the, the, the boundaries and the, and the guidelines. We need to do that as ourselves. Ephesians tells me that once you used to be corrupted by the pattern of the world, that you used to go with the flow of the world, but God made us alive in Christ. Therefore, we do not need to worry about culture. Culture is not taking your relationship away from Jesus or God. We have the power and the choice to keep the relationship with Jesus and God strong. Do you still have the Holy Spirit? Has he gone? No, he's alive and well, and he wants to engage with you every day of your life. Do we still have the ancient scriptures? Yes, you do. You have it in every 
form that you could possibly imagine. Do you have the love of God shed abroad in your heart? You have enough. You have enough. So what instead of being worried? See, here's, I've said this right from the get-go from this conversation that we started way back in August, is that we live in a post-Christian culture where people want the culture of the kingdom but don't want the king. But what I'm saying is let's not get worried about mindfulness. Let's do quiet time. Let's get the benefit of what culture wants and society needs, but let's bring in the king. Let's keep it all around King Jesus. Why don't you start introducing that to your friends? Instead of being afraid of, of some of the conversations that people have, why don't you say, that's a brilliant idea. I do that too. But here's how I do it. I invite Jesus into my conversation. I, I've got this king called Jesus, and he feeds the poor, and he heals the sick, and he's just the best thing since sliced bread. Instead of talking about Vineyard Church, Don't Gannon, why don't you talk about Jesus and say to him, here's what I do. And when I get up in the morning, instead of going to my phone, you could start a revolution in your workplace. Instead of getting up in the morning going to my phone, I stop and I invite Jesus into my day. I would encourage you to do that too. Does that make sense? Quiet time. Do people still do it? People still do it? Find a space. Find a place. Be alone with God. Baby steps. Oh, I've shot over time. Start small. Start small. Don't be thinking you're going to be Henry Nguyen or anybody like Dallas Willard. Henry Nguyen was a Catholic priest. He was single. He could spend hours in monasteries and retreats. And if you're married or you're living this world with a job, it's probably 40 plus hours a week. You don't have to be Henry Nguyen. But what about spending three or four minutes a day alone in quiet with Jesus? And then try that four or five times a week. Would you be up for that? What do you think, teenagers? Think it's something that you like to do? Should we keep touch and I can check up if you're doing it? Or how should we do it? Stop looking at me. Okay. <laughs> can we try that, church? Just like four minutes of your day? Four minutes? Five minutes? Four times a week? Being with Jesus, starting with him first thing in the morning? What about, what about this? What about this? What about finishing your day off with him? I said before, Hebrew culture, the day didn't begin in the morning, sun up. The day began when you lay your head to rest at night because your full trust was in Yahweh King, the provider, that you lent into the presence of God while you were sleeping, that you trusted in him, even though it was all out of your control. Can you imagine that you were able to rest and sleep? That's why the Bible talks a lot about sleep. And Jesus liked to sleep, didn't he? Like even in the most anxious moments, in the storm, and the, uh, the craziness, Jesus falls asleep. I think Jesus liked to sleep. Me and Jesus, same. <laughs> I like to sleep. He likes to sleep. What about that? Yes, Dan. <laughs> 